What's up, my friends, and welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, talking to a good friend of mine, Mr. Peter C. Hayward. He is an incredible designer and publisher and novelist and aspiring screenwriter and a YouTuber. And in this episode, we're talking about what it looks like to pursue lots of different creative avenues. We're going to get into why someone might want to bounce around to different creative fields, how to work on lots of different projects at the same time and schedule your life so that you actually get things done, how to go pro in different industries, how to stop making excuses and get off the couch and actually get things done, and a whole lot more. In other news, this episode is sponsored by Crowdfunding Nerds, also known as Next Level Web. This group of crowdfunding specialists has worked on over 100 projects and helped raise nearly $15 million. But the truly amazing part is that most of those campaigns were from first-time creators. They charge flat fees and offer simple monthly pay-as-you-go plans. And the record for funding projects on day one is over 90%. I've personally been working with them for years and they have been instrumental in helping me raise hundreds of thousands of dollars for my own campaigns. Andrew and his team are honest, hardworking, and reliable, and they have been absolutely phenomenal to work with. So if your game is awesome, but your email list is pitiful, visit crowdfundingnerds.com and fill out a contact form today. But now, please help me welcome Peter C. Hayward. So, Peter, you are a guy, you're one of my favorite people to talk to. You're hyper creative. And what I love about you is that you are just constantly exploring new things. You're not the kind of person that, that just gets stuck and you're like, I'm just going to do this forever. And so tell me a little bit about that. Like, what is it about you personally and then also just creative people in general that they're so driven to go, go do this and go do that? And it seems like, you know, some people, they're only good at one thing or they only try to do one thing. But for the most part, I feel like we all kind of have this shiny object syndrome and we're always running around and, and doing different things. So why do you think that is? And especially for you personally. But I, I sometimes get jealous of the people who can just do one thing. I'm like, God, that, that's so smart. Like you just pick a thing and then you become an expert at that and you become the master and you make all the money, you get all the fame. Whereas I'm like, oh, that thing, that thing, that thing. I'll tell you for me personally, whatever I am intaking so whatever i'm like if i'm listening to podcasts i want to make a podcast if i'm watching youtube videos i want to make youtube videos if i'm playing board games i want to make board games if i'm reading books i want to write books if I'm watching a movie i want to write movies like whatever it is that i am you know spending my time on whatever whatever it is that i'm, I'm absorbing i'm suddenly like that's what i want to do so that's definitely a huge thing for me and i've had to learn to limit my intake <laughs> uh because you know if, if i if i went out tomorrow and started watching lectures on mesopotamian history in six months' time, I'd be like, I reckon I could do one of these. And I reckon I'd be, you know, and I'm not saying I'd be immediately good at it, but I have the right set of skills to to like build towards it. So for me, it's just, it, it's sort of like a, a dog and a squirrel. I'm like, that thing is cool. I want that right now and I'll just pursue it. Yeah, that's a really good point. As far as like knowing yourself too, but being like, hey, I am kind of interested in that, but I've got 47 other things going on right now. So let me just put that off to the side and not think about it. Otherwise, I'm going to have 48, right? Uh, you're actually in this story a little bit. You don't know this. Okay. Uh, so one of my various careers is, is board games. And so when I was working on board games, I would want to be listening to board game content. So I would put your old podcast, the Board Game Design Lab on. And that would mean that, you know, while I'm literally working on a board game, I'm not like, oh, that was interesting. And I, you know, walk away from the table and start working on, on Sudoku or on screenwriting or whatever it is. So I definitely use input channels to focus, well, to try to focus myself on, on a specific thing. I have, um, I use a podcast app that has playlists. So I have a playlist that is screenwriting. I have a playlist that is board games. I have a playlist that, you know, 
I have them all tied to my various interests. Of course, as mentioned, this means that then I want to make podcasts. And so I've had <laughs> several podcasts over my life where I'm like, oh, I want to do a podcast now because that's all I'm listening to. Yeah, that's a good point of just immersing yourself in the thing and you know, getting it from all angles as far as like podcasts or books or, or news or whatever. That makes a lot of sense. And one thing I find personally, and this is something I've noticed as I've dove you know, as much as I can into YouTube, is the more I'm in it, the more I get new ideas and the more like the juices just seem to flow, the more rhythm I can get into, you know, and you and I both were in this like really cool class that they were taking, uh, you know, about YouTube and things like that. And it's been so cool just to be surrounded by other people in this medium, because that's what we're talking about. It's, it's at the front of my mind, as opposed to the, you know, 50 other things that are always on the back burner. And yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And so anyone listening to this, that you're designing a game or you're writing a book or whatever you're doing. Like, how can you fully immerse yourself in that world? Because I think that's where, like, a lot of really great stuff comes from. I was talking to a good friend of mine last night about music, and he's a phenomenal uh, musician. He's a guitar player. He can sing. And we were talking about how so many people just don't realize that you might write 100 songs for an album that ends up with 10 songs, right? You're just going to immerse yourself in that world and just write and write and write and play new notes and try to figure things out. And and then eventually you're, you've got this massive body of work. And you're like, yeah, but there's these are the best ones. Versus if you just sat down and did 10, like they, they might be good, but if you do 100, you're much... No, I, I use, um, is that called Workflowy? I don't know if you know. It's literally just lists. So that's, that's where I keep everything. And uh, every time I have any idea, it goes in the list. And so when I'm like, okay, I'm going to work on YouTube today or I'm going to work on board games today, I'll open the list and I'll just go down until something sparks. That's something I've really leaned into this year, which is just working on whatever I am passionate about in that moment. Because, you know, at, when, when you've got four different careers, you end up being like, oh, I've got to get to this, I've got to get to this. And so there are days when I drag myself out of bed and I'm like, look, I don't care that I'm excited about board games. I don't care that I'm excited about this. I need to sit down and work on that. And that's obviously a really useful skill to have. I've been working from home for almost 15 years now. So I, over the first maybe three, four years, it was a grind to learn how to motivate myself like that. But now I can do it. If I'm like, I, you know, if I've given myself a deadline, I will hit that deadline. But on those days where you're like, I'm just going to work on whatever I want to work on. It goes faster. You get into it straight away and everything you make tends to be better. Now that's obviously not always true, but I spent the first two months of this year just working on board games. This is my year of YouTube. This is the year where I focus primarily on YouTube. I didn't do a single thing on YouTube for all of January and all of February because I was just in the zone with board games. I designed, and you'll, you'll, <laughs> you'll understand how crazy this is. I designed seven board games from scratch to pitch in the first two months of this year, uh, and multiple of which have been signed. So this was a very good year for me because I was just like, what am I in the mood for? Look, I know I have this other stuff that I quote unquote should be working on, but I'm in the mood for this. The flip side of that, of course, is that, you know, this is meant to be my year of YouTube. I really want to get my YouTube channel up and running and I got nothing towards that. So if, 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 you, if you're actually trying to accomplish a certain thing, following your, I, I, I called it following inspiration. Every day I just wake up and follow inspiration and that just happened to be board games. And then once you immerse yourself in it, it becomes board games more and more. And as a result, I got no progress on YouTube, but I was really happy with everything I did. And I don't know about you, but for me, when I'm like, okay, I need to work on this, it takes me about three hours to build up to like opening the page. <laughs> yeah. it, it is a lot of like, well, I'll make a cup of tea and I'll quickly clean up my apartment. And I haven't done a spring cleaning my car for a while. And I need to call my friend Allison, who I haven't spoken to in forever. Uh, whereas when you're following inspiration, 
you get up and you just go. You're just like, I'm in the mood for this. Bam. So you kind of save those three hours, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And this is something Donald Miller, I heard him talking about one time. He had, I, th- I think it re- definitely relates to deadlines too. And especially when it's like business stuff, because he was talking about, he was working on a book. The publisher was waiting on it. I think he was already over schedule, over that, de- you know, past the deadline. And he said, it's amazing how organized my silverware drawer would be. <laughs> and it's amazing how clean my house would be. Because again, he would find all these things to do as opposed to just sitting down and writing, which is what he needed to be doing. But I bet if it was like, you know, him writing poetry or making YouTube videos or something like that, that he was like super excited about and it's experimental and he's figuring it out. I bet he would have gotten that stuff done. And so I bet it's also related to the, the stuff you have to do. Like for us, board game publishing and the stuff that goes along with that, you're doing your taxes and you know all of the stuff with the business side. It's a lot easier just to go make some tea to organize a, a silverware drawer. You know, so I think that's part of it as well. And then one thing I've, I've found a lot of success in is Fridays. So, a lot of, not every week, but most of my week, most of my weeks, Friday is anything goes. I'm not locked in. I don't schedule stuff on Friday. I don't put meetings. I don't record anything. I just, I just leave it open. And then when I get up, it's like, what do I want to do today? What, what's getting me going? What's exciting? Now it might be a, a continuation of Thursday and whatever I was already working on and the stuff I have to get done. Cause I'm real, really excited about it. But a lot of times it'll be stuff that no one will ever see. It'll be a story that is never going to get actually you know, finished or written all the way. It might be a game idea that it's not going to make any money, so I'm not going to publish it because you know, 14 people would buy it and that's it. You know, But it's like at least open to whatever I'm feeling. But then some of my best ideas have come out of that. I feel like it's just that, uh, that openness where your brain can just go wherever it wants, and then sometimes you land on some cool things. I think that it's kind of what you've been doing, man. The last two months, you're just like, hey, let's just do whatever. And it's turned into all these amazing games that have actually gotten signed, so that's awesome. I, I, had, I had two months of Fridays, basically. <laughs> that is better than a month of Mondays. My personal philosophy is that there's no such thing as a wasted endeavor. Like there's no project where at the end of it, I'm like, oh, that was, that was not worth my time. Back when I lived in Australia, I'm in LA right now, but back when I lived in Australia, I used to put on a monthly live show. I did this for two years. No one ever came. It was a complete, you know, quote unquote waste of time. But A, I learned how to run a little team because we, we had, we had a team and now as a publisher, you end up running a team. And that's all skills that like I wouldn't have built if I hadn't run that show for two two years. It was a game show. So this is before I even touched board game design. I was designing games every single week. So this show was a was a failure, but it gave me so many skills. It gave me so many, you know, what not to do with no audience. I'd much rather fail with no audience than fail with the expectation of, you know, 100,000 people look at me. Now, I'm okay with failing either way. Failing is a really important part of it. But if you have to choose, I would rather, you know, get all those failures out of the way up front. The main thing that it taught me, and this is kind of uh, ephemeral, you can't really be like, ah, yes, this skill on the box is to care about everything, which uh, sounds exhausting and it, it really is, but it, it's sort of the the, the nice side of, of perfectionism. No one came to these shows, genuinely. We'd have maybe like five audience members and seven people on stage. We did this for months and months and months because I was convinced that we'd eventually build this audience. We never did because the product wasn't something that anyone wanted to see. Another lesson I learned from doing this. But despite the fact that no one was coming, I would make sure that every show was, you know, polished from start to finish and that we really put it through its paces and nothing was coming out that we were like, maybe this will work, maybe what we were like, okay, look, let's just test it ourselves. Let's get the river riders and let's run it a few times. Oh, that didn't work. 
I'm glad we learned, again, I'm glad we failed in this room rather than on stage in front of our non-audience. And that has served me so well. Like any project I do now, um, you know, past a certain point, I make sure like I've got games here that a dozen people have played. Like we, not not quite. We, we, we made a lot of games that not a lot of people bought and then everyone has a shelf of shame. So not every game that gets bought gets played. But I made sure that all of them were as strong as they could be from start to finish. And that doesn't really matter when no one's playing it. But once you have a hit, now you've got a bunch of people putting this thing through its paces. I've got a game called That Time You Killed Me. It's a two-player time travel abstract. And there is so much content in that game. You just keep on opening more and more envelopes and more and more envelopes and it just keeps on going. And even though at some point someone on the team was like, no one's really going to get to the end. I was like, doesn't matter. We have to make sure that the final envelope that 1% of players will ever get to and 1% of those will ever play is as good as the rest. And I really think like once you start hitting larger numbers, that 1% of 1% becomes a significant number of people. And if I hadn't learned from this show in Melbourne, you've got to care about every detail. <laughs> like it, uh, yeah. So I learned, you know, you, you're saying you have these ideas that they never go anywhere. Cool. But by exploring them and by making them and just by playing around with them, you will learn something that moves on to the next project. Guaranteed. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. It also reminds me when I was in college playing football, we had a sign on one of the walls there in the weight room that said, your hardest work is done when no one is watching. And it really just hits home. It's like a lot of people can get excited because they're on stage for a whole bunch of people, right? They're going to go out there and they're going to perform or they're going to make something that a whole bunch of people are going to watch or read or whatever. But can you bring that intensity? Can you bring that attention to detail when nobody's going to experience it? And this is something, it reminds me of Prince, the musician, the rock star. And so like right after he died, so many people were were telling stories about Prince and who he was and all these different things. And there's all the Chappelle show stuff that people remember and all that. But uh, one thing people were talking about was how if he did a show with 10 people or if he did a show with 10,000 people, it was the same show. He gave it the same heart, the effort. I mean, he'd be up there just pouring sweat and, and laying down music and singing and all this stuff, whether it was with a, you know just a few people sitting on some couches at somebody's, you know, somebody's living room or on stage in front of a ton of folks. And it's like, okay, that's a next level kind of thing. I think it's really uh, psychologically healthy to make stuff for you. So Prince is not performing for those 10 people. Prince is performing for his own standard. If he doesn't meet his standard, that's a bad show. So he makes sure that the audience is almost irrelevant. He meets his standard. And I think that's really healthy because if your standard is not your own, if your standard is the audience's, now your mental well-being, your perception of how well you are doing is, de- is is externally determined. Like, that's a disaster. <laughs> if I only, you know, if, if I make a game that I'm not happy with and I put it out there and everyone loves it, I, ah, oh, like, that that's really gross to me at this stage of my life because I'm like, why, why are this homogenous group of strangers, why is this conglomerate blob of people whose faces I don't know determining my self-value? No, no, don't do that. You make the stuff to your standard so that you can be happy with it. It's a bonus that other people will enjoy that. It's a bonus that anyone but you will get as much pleasure out of it. But as long as you're meeting your standards and setting your standards, just as importantly, and then trying to meet those standards, you know, you you can have five flops in a row and it's going to hurt. Obviously, I'm not saying, you know, bulletproof, but you will know that you met your standards and maybe you'll revisit your standards, but you're not going to be like, 
oh man, I used I used to be happy when people loved my stuff, and now I'm making stuff that I just love as much, and and no one loves me. That is a yeah. That shouldn't that shouldn't be affecting your self esteem. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Let me ask you about the other side of that coin though, because there's a lot of people who, especially when they're starting off and they're not any good, but they still had this standard of perfection. And so that leads to them never actually doing the thing or they never hit publish. They never submit anything. They never pitch anything because it's never to a certain quote unquote standard. So how do you find that balance of going, okay, good enough is good enough. But at the same time, I'm going to pursue excellence, but not perfection. How do you do that? I assume, you know, the Ira Glass quote. Is that the one where it's like you develop taste before skill? Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, anyway, like you'll know, you'll know what's good long before you can make what's good. Yes. I have a bit of a weird angle towards this, which is that uh, when when I'm starting the thing, I cheat. <laughs> um, so let, let's talk about board games because you and I both know board games very well. There is a company; they're a great company. They're called Buttonshy. They do 18 card games and 18 card games only. That is a hugely limiting factor. There are a lot of things that you literally cannot do in an 18 card game. You cannot make you know, wingspan in 18 cards. You make a version of wingspan, sure, but you can't make the experience that wingspan has provided to millions of people. You just can't do it. You can't make Star Wars using nothing but two finger puppets. You can kind of recreate and emulate it, but you can't make the full rich tapestry and the visuals and everything that Star Wars is. So when I'm starting in a project, I like to sort of impose these semi-arbitrary limits. So if I was a new board game designer, I wouldn't try to make Twilight Imperium. Because Twilight Imperium is this eight-hour game. It's a $150 box. It requires people, you know, two hours of teaching and all that. And that game, if you're new, is going to collapse. It's going to collapse under its own weight again and again and again as a new designer. However, if you're making something in 18 cards, it's not that it doesn't have to be as good. Because I'm not saying, just make stuff that's not good. That's that's not my advice at all. I'm saying the standards are different. The sta- I'm going to say lower. I'm not trying to... I mean, Button Shy, who I think is a great company, and, and I think some of their games are they set up there with Twilight Imperium. But if, as a new designer, you're like, I want to make a board game, I'm worried about not being able to meet up to my own taste. I'm not being, you know, not being able to accomplish Star Wars in, in my first go. Fair enough. Then try making an 18 card game because the standards are different. The limitation will make you be like, okay, look, I've got something that works as well as it can. Or make up your own limitation. I've got two coins and a card. What's a game you create with two coins and a card? It's not going to be an award-winning game. It just, it can't be. That's too limited scope. But if you can make something with two two coins and a card that's as good as a two coins and a card game can be, great. You've, you've done something. As a filmmaker, if you want to make it your first film, don't try to make Star Wars. Make something that's shot all in one take. Or make a short film. Short film's a great example of what I'm talking about. A short film has a different standard than a feature film. It has a different standard than a 10-episode TV series. It has a different standard than an animated Disney flick. If you can make something short, that then it's easier to make something that you like because you've got these, you know, limitation placed on you. That I, I think of it as a ceiling. An eighteen-card game has a ceiling. A twenty-second animated short has a ceiling. You can't make Gone with the Wind in twenty seconds. Your first go out. A single take film has a ceiling. If you can get closer and closer to that ceiling, it feels better than, uh, you know reaching that same height while you're trying to make Star Wars. If you want to write a graphic novel, first write a five-panel web comic and figure out how exactly. to do that. Because one, it's so much easier because it's it's limited, right? You're Again, you're not doing a six-hour Twilight Imperium style game. You're doing a 10-minute, 18-card style game. And so the scope alone makes it an easier process. Now, there's a lot of challenges that come with the restriction and keeping Absolutely. the game inside 18 
cards, the the web comic inside of five panels because you really want that six panel, but you gotta you gotta figure out how to chop it down. Like there's a lot of challenge that goes into that, but just the scope in general, because like we were just talking about a, a minute ago, you're gonna develop these skills and it's never gonna be wasted. Even if no one ever sees the 18 card game, they never see the five card the five panel comic, you're developing, you're figuring things out, you're learning, and you're getting momentum. And I think I, th- I think people don't talk about momentum enough when it comes to creativity and how you know, objects in motion stay in motion. So how can you get into motion? It's hard to get into motion if you're thinking, I'm, I'm designing a game that's going to take six hours to play. I'm going to write a hundred page graphic novel. Like it's hard. It's overwhelming. But if you're thinking, oh, I just need to come up with five panels for a comic. Okay, I can do that. And you do the first one. You're like, shoot, I'm 20% there. And you get that momentum. And all of a sudden you're going downhill. And then that leads into other things. But let me ask you this. When it comes to momentum, someone like you who's juggling different things, right? You're writing novels, you're designing games, you're working on YouTube, you're, you're trying to you know, break into the TV world and write scripts and things like that. How can you kind of limit things so that you do gather momentum? Because it's almost like even if you're doing small projects, but you're doing so many. So like in conglomeration, it's a lot. It can be very overwhelming. So what would be your advice for someone who is really interested in lots of different types of things, how they can still kind of limit the scope of their projects so they, they can build momentum, build skills, and not just feel overwhelmed by the sheer majority of what's what they're trying to accomplish. There's two things, and these are, I can only talk about what worked for me. I can't give advice to any random person, but for me, there's two things. One is that at the start of every year, I do this thing, it's, I call it Big Four, Little Four. And they're the big four things I'm focusing on this year and the little four things I'm focusing on this year. So and that can be anything from like fitness to you know my relationship, whatever it is, but I pick eight. And that's kind of the scope for my year. That's that's what my year looks like. Big four, little four. At the end of the year, I go back and often like I've I've changed path and all that. But at least as a starting point, I'm like, okay, here's my big four. Here's my little four. Uh, you know, do I want to take an improv class? Look, if it doesn't fit into the big four, little four, maybe not. Maybe maybe that's how I limit my scope just a little bit. Like I, don't, I don't try not to say no to too many opportunities. But if I'm trying to start a YouTube career and screenwrite and make board games and run my own publishing company and this and that, then I don't also need to take up a cooking class and start dating someone who lives in another country. That's just, it's going <laughs> to, it's going to be too much. So I definitely try to limit my scope that way. Again, this is what works for me. But in terms of maintaining momentum, once I've got that scope, I say, okay, how can I be held accountable? Uh, you mentioned earlier that we're doing this YouTube course together, along with a lot of other people. The number one reason I'm doing this is to try to find other people who are taking YouTube seriously. That's what's in it for me. I, I mean, the class is going to be great. I'm going to learn a lot. I'm going to attend the class, you know, every day that I can. But ultimately, I'm trying to build a network and a community. So I learned this from board games. Board games was so instrumental to every part of my life because I learned how I tick. Back when I lived in Australia, every Wednesday night, there was a little board game bar. I would be there with prototypes and my friends would show up and play them. And that was just to see me and to hang out and to be at a bar. But for me, I had to have a game there. The idea of everyone leaving their house and coming to a place to play a board game and me being like, I ah, but not actually get anything new. Like they wouldn't actually care. They'd be like, that's fine. We'll have drinks, whatever. But for me, I, I couldn't do that. I couldn't not have a new thing to show when these people have done it specifically. So I build in those accountability groups. I'm in a screenwriters group. Every Monday we meet and we don't always have a script every week or else I would die. But you know, whenever it's my turn on the roster, you better believe I have a script ready for feedback. So even if I've not thought about screenwriting for five weeks, if it's my week next week, I am going to stay up late or get up early or 
you know, drop whatever else I'm doing that day because I need to have a new script for them. So for me, it's getting other people who are interested in what I'm doing to hold me, not not hold me accountable, it's not their job, but to say, yeah, I'll look at that. You know, if, if someone says, yeah, I'll read your script on Monday, I'm going to have a script by Monday. So if I want to motivate myself to get a script written, I'll reach out to someone and be like, hey, next Monday, can you read a script? They'll be like, yeah, sure. I'm like, oh, now I have to do it. I have to, have to, have to do it. So YouTube, similarly, like I've made a little Discord community of LA YouTubers. And uh, now we are bouncing ideas back and forth and just it's sort of that immersion thing. I'm watching a lot of YouTube. I'm in this YouTuber group. I'm looking forward to this course. And all of this keeps me going on it, if that makes sense. The value of working with a co-designer, of a co-writer, of having other people on your team. Because one, it's, it's great to have other ideas, other opinions, other angles yeah. that you're seeing things from. But two, like I'm the kind of person, I don't want to let people down. Like I still remember when I was in college, I was a sophomore and a friend of mine came to me and she was in the theater program and she wanted to do like a, you know, a 20 minute play. And she asked me to write it. And I was like, yeah, I can do that. Not realizing or not even thinking that I had a million other things going on. And so ultimately I, I never got it done. And I hated the feeling of having to go to her and be like, look, I'm, I know I told you I would, I'm not gonna be able to do this. And like the disappointment in her and like the feel, like I still carry that with me, you know? And so that, that, that was a, a defining moment. And it was just such a silly throwaway kind of thing in the grand scheme of my life, but I still carry it with me, right? And so to bring in, in other people that you don't let them down. And another thing I found to be really helpful is I don't, like, I don't want to be the bottleneck. So like if I'm working with a graphic designer or an artist or a co-designer or whatever, you know, and, and they send me stuff, then I've got to give them feedback for them to be able to take the next step. Like I hate that feeling of being the bottleneck. Like I carry it around with me. I write it on my whiteboard and you know, I'll just put their name and put a big line underneath it. It's like, hey, you got to give back to Bob. Bob is waiting on you. Someone down right now. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And there's so much value in that. And that's not everybody, but that, that's definitely something that, that works for me is just carrying that accountability, that feeling of, I don't want to be the person that everyone else is waiting on. I don't want to be the person that's letting other people down. And so I'll, I'll give you the lowest stakes possible example. Uh, every Tuesday, I'm going to hike with my friend. Every month, every Sunday, I'm going to different hike with my girlfriend. And at any point, anyone could be like, I can't make it this week. It'll be fine. But I have never once been the person to cancel it because I I want to do that. And I know if I let myself cancel it, then it won't happen. And I think you can also get this just from telling other people. That's one thing I try to do is I ask people, hey, what are you trying to do this week? Like, what are you, what are you, because if you write it down, like if you put it out there on the internet and you tell other people, like there's even science behind you are much more likely statistically to actually do the thing. If all you did was say, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to try to do this thing. You know, and don't keep it to yourself. And so again, like like you're talking about having those those people around you that you can just say, hey, this is what I'm trying to accomplish. And they tell you, like, even if that's all it is, if it's not business related, if it's not them waiting on you for the next phase of the project or anything, if it's literally just, I told you I was going to do something, oh, now I kind of feel like I need to, even though there's no stakes, like they don't, they don't care, <laughs> but it still carries some weight to it. I think there's a lot of value in that. And so how do you maintain so many different things? Though, like, tell me your scheduling. Tell me, like, how do you stay productive <laughs> when you keep bouncing around? Because, again, you're writing books, you're designing games, you're publishing games, you're trying to break into the, the TV world and writing, you know, screenplays and stuff like that. How do you just manage it all from a sheer calendar standpoint? What does that look like? I'll start with the, with the writing because that's, that's my bread and butter. That's what I mean. The majority of my income from, um, I have a Patreon that I update twice a month. Back when I started, they would offer a thing where it's like, when I post, I get paid. I have very deliberately chosen that one. If I don't post in a month, I don't get paid. I don't make my income. <laughs> so I need to post every month or else I literally cannot pay rent. I mean, I have savings, but you know what I mean? Like 
that is a, a cause and effect. If I post, I get paid. So you better believe I'm going to post. And my patrons are expecting it. It's that obligation thing again of like, they need to. So because that one's the most important one, that's my Sundays. Every Sunday after my hike, that's writing night. My girlfriend knows to never plan anything. If I get off at something, unless it's so like, I, I got to go to the Annie's the other day, which is like the animation awards. Um, and if that's on a Sunday, I'm not going to be like, I gotta, I gotta do my writing. I'll shift it. But generally speaking, Sunday is my writing block that that's when I write. There is never anything else scheduled there. And every Sunday I write, that, that's what I do on Sunday. So that one is such a priority that, I, you know, there's the equivalent of like a blackout on every Sunday in my calendar. That's my day when I write, I'll write other days as well, but that's the day where no matter what else is going on, I sit down and write. Everything else is much more flexible. Every, nothing else has that same like must do obligation. I mean, Jelly Bean, the publishing stuff, like you said, I've got deadlines. And so we have a weekly meeting where we just talk through it. And I'm like, okay, cool. But for me, the big one is I do a weekly review. And I can't even remember where I found this from, but it's it's a list of questions that every single week I sit down and I ask myself these questions. It takes about half an hour. I do it on Sunday between the hike and writing. So it's part of my weekly schedule, part of that day that is always going to happen. And I just go through, and the last question is, so so it's stuff like, go through my journal for the last week. What did I spend my time on? Was that a good use of time? What was the best best part of my week? What would I like to change? Um, and then the last question is, what are the three things I'm focusing on this week? And that's a moment to not just kind of take life as it comes. So it'd be like, look, I've been talking about YouTube all year. I'm not doing YouTube. Cool. YouTube, you know, working on my, I'm working on a Ted Lasso video right now. YouTube is one of the three big things that I am going to focus on this week. Maybe we've got a game coming out soon. I'm like, cool, that's one of the three big things. I'll pick a third one. And it's sort of like my big four, little four that I mentioned earlier. Like, it gives me scope. I'm like, this week is YouTube. This week is a jelly bean game. And this week is uh, working on this one board game that I've had the idea for. That's what I do this week. And at the end of each week, uh, I, I go th I go through the equivalent of my big four, little four, and I'm like, man, I've not even touched this one in three weeks. Okay, that'll be one of the big three this week. Or maybe it'll get dropped. Maybe I'm like, look, I said I wanted to be a rapper, but I've not written any rap at all. Maybe that shouldn't be a priority this year when I've got other stuff that I should be working on. Yeah, and I want to highlight something you said kind of early on in that, and that's Sundays, the people around you, your relationships, they know what you do on Sundays, and then they support that. And I was talking to somebody, this was a while back, and they said, hey, what's your best advice for getting into creativity, you know, getting good, being successful, whatever? And I said, I think first and foremost is to marry the right person. It's to surround yourself <laughs> with the right people that are going to understand. So for instance, my wife, you know, now that I'm switching gears into a lot of this YouTube stuff, my family knows that Tuesday is YouTube day. That in the morning, I'm working on scripting, I'm working on, I'm researching, I'm finding things, I'm recording in the afternoon, sometimes the evening, depending on how long the first time takes. Like, you're just not going to see me much on Tuesday. And I need you to leave me alone. And I need you to be away from the area where I record because I needed to be quiet. You know, the microphone picks up stuff. Like, even right now, you and I are talking. Two minutes before I hit record on this, my wife is like, all right, kids, let's go to McDonald's. And she took everybody out of the house and they're all gone. You know, I'm not dealing with, with kids running around and crying and all that stuff because they get it and they understand. Yeah. And part of that is I am treating this as a profession. Even though I'm not making money, if, you know, I think I've made eight bucks on YouTube ads at this point. Like I'm not making an income, but I'm acting like this is my job because my mentality is, okay, I want to take this full time. How do I do that? Well, I have to act in a way that as if it already is. Like I have to act like I'm going to work. I'm punching the clock. I'm getting things done. Even though I'm not making money yet, I'm going to at least put myself in that like situation or mind space of doing it and the people around me get it too. And then just 
scheduling that out like you would anything else. You know, so many people are like, hey, I don't ever have time. I, you know, I'm always this or that. It's like, well, that's because you're not making time. Like you, you have time for Netflix. You have time to scroll through Instagram for two hours. Like you have time. It's just a matter of utilizing that time in a way that actually points towards the things you claim you want to accomplish. So if you really want to do them, schedule them out. Like you said, Sundays is when I do this writing thing, period. Now it's helpful that there's a profit motive in there too. Like there's a money thing. I got to pay bills. So I got to do this thing. I think that helps yeah. as well. But just like scheduling it out. There's a framing that I've always really enjoyed, which is it's not you don't have time. It's that this is not a priority. You know, yeah. there's a mug. Beyonce has the same 24 hours of the day as everyone else. Now she also has an entourage and a bunch of money. But when it comes down to it, like we all get 24 hours in a day. So it's not that you don't have time. It's that you have different priorities. Some of those priorities are very important. You have kids. You need to prioritize those kids above other things. But at the same time, like you have made that choice. It's not that you don't have time. It's that you've chosen to prioritize parenthood above certain other things. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm reminded of Hulk Hogan back in the day when he was wrestling nonstop. And he would talk about how he would wrestle 400 days a year. Yeah. And it's like, well, Hulk, there's only 365 <laughs> days. Like how he goes, yeah, I wrestled in Japan so much that I was constantly crossing the international dateline and I would wrestle <laughs> in California and then I would get on a flight and wrestle in Japan. He's like, I wrestled 400 days a year. And he's serious. He's not being metaphorical, you know, because that was his life and that's what he wanted to do. Now, he also was making a lot of money, so maybe we can't, you know, discount that. But I think that's just something to think about. It's like, do you really want to do this thing? Is it a priority? And if it's not, that's okay. But at least use that language. Don't say, I don't have time say this is not a priority because I think that hits harder like it carries more weight when you have to just look in the mirror and admit to yourself it, it's this it's is not problem. externalizing it's not that time is the problem it's that you yes. have made a choice right instead of blaming the universe yeah it's saying no I am in control of my own life my own destiny my if there were 30 hours in a day I would be able to do what everyone else does it's like well everyone else does it without 30 hours in a day like we're not all jumping on a plane to Japan one of the screenwriting podcasts in my screenwriting playlist is uh, that screenwriting life or this screenwriting life. It's very good. It's, it's two of the women who worked on Inside Out and a bunch of other Pixar films, and they've had a, a long career. And one of them said something that it's so simple, but it just really, I've remembered it for years now since I heard it. And that is uh, when, you, you know, you have to value your writing time. Again, this is so simple. There's, there's no deeper meaning than that. But she said, you know, when you look back in 20 years time, will you wish that you'd spent more time prioritizing your writing or saying like, look, it's, I live in LA. It's very easy to be like, I'll go to an event every night. There's, there's 400 events every night in LA that I would have a great time at. And by saying yes to all of those, I'm saying no to screenwriting. By saying yes to, you know, hanging out with friends five nights a week, have friends. I'm not saying have an unhealthy life, but every now and again, just be like, cool. Have I made that choice? Have I valued my writing time and gotten some writing done if not you not gonna get the writing done <laughs> yeah it reminds me of a joke it goes something like this i met a man at a party and i said hey what do you what do you do for a living and the guy said oh i'm writing a novel and i said oh neither am i <laughs> and it's because it's hard right it's hard to do those things as creative people now let me, let me switch gears let me ask you this you're the kind of guy that i look at and i go wow this dude is not afraid. You're not afraid to move to a different city. You're not afraid to move to a different country. You're not afraid to dye your hair blue. Like you're not, you're just a guy that's like, I'm going to do a thing. And then you get off the couch and then you go do it, which is what 99% of most people never do, right? They can't ever kind of get to that place where they go, I want this thing. And I'm going to actually take the steps to do it as opposed to just sitting here and hoping. How? 
give me some advice. Now I know this is, you know, somewhat everybody's going to be different. Everybody's got different right, right. things are carrying into things. But for you personally, what is it about you in your mind, in your life that you go, I'm going to move to Los Angeles. I want to write for TV. So I'm going to go do that. Even though the odds are stacked against me, even though it's insanely difficult to break into that world, I'm going to go do it. How? Okay, I'm going to give you the depressing answer first, which is that uh, I am an atheist. I do not believe in an afterlife or anything like that. So for me, there is a ticking clock. There is a point at which I get to do nothing else ever again. Now, if you're not an atheist, this obviously won't resonate the same way. But for me, I'm like, okay, I have X years. The end. That's all I have. It's it's uh, <laughs> there is there is a distinct point at which I don't get to do any more writing. So I want to get that writing done now. Uh, the other answer is also depressing, but hopefully in a more useful way, which is I've I've been talking about this a lot lately. Um, Let's imagine that you're uh, that there's a race coming up. There's a, a, a race of a kilometer, and there's a million people in this race. So this is not a small race. There is a million people who are going to race from the start to the end, and you want to you want to be in the not you don't even want to win the race. Let's say you want to be in the top thousand or the top hundred. That's a, that's an incredibly tiny number of people, but you want to run this kilometer and you want to be in the top thousand. Okay, now now there's a second you. We're going to externalize and say you're betting on this race. You are going to put money on this race and you're going to try and guess who's going to be in the top thousand. Are you going to bet on the guy who has run this course a thousand times and stays up late every night listening to podcasts about running, who, you know, has bought has bought the gear and has hired a trainer and has made sure that, you know, when it comes, you know, he gets to sleep every night, he works out every day, he eats his vegetables. Or are you going to bet on the guy who's like, I would like to win that race. That seems like a nice idea. When it comes to any creative profession, Anything like YouTube or screenwriting or board game design, there are a million people who want to be in that top hundred. I I think, and I don't have the the facts to back this up. I think there are less than a hundred full time board game designers in the world, if that. It is an extremely, extremely, extremely small portion of people. And I have people saying, "Hey, Peter, I want to be a full time board game designer." I'm like, "Cool. Why would I bet on? You? Like, why would you bet on you? I don't matter. Why would you bet on?" You? I was talking to a guy, very lovely guy, really liked him, not trying to pick on him, but he said, like, I asked him, how many games have you designed this year? He's like, well, it's been a busy year. You know, I've had I've had some stuff come up. I'm like, that sucks. I'm really sorry they've had stuff come up and had a busy year. I'm taking my money elsewhere. <laughs> I'm not going to bet on the guy who's like, I want to win this race, but it's been one of those years, so I haven't had a chance to practice. I haven't actually gone and checked out the course yet. Like, I want to be a creative. I am a creative professional. I want to be a screenwriter. I want to be a screenwriter, and that is a hundred people or a thousand people in the race. There are people all around the world who want to be in that top thousand people. So how do how do I better myself? How do I give myself the best chance? I find the the gambling metaphor really helpful because as soon as you put money on the line, actually you'll know this from board games too. If you ask people, hey, what do you think of my game? They'll be like, I liked it. And you're like, cool. How many dollars would you pay for it? They're like, I don't know if, if I liked it. And it's like, cool. So you didn't you didn't like it enough. Like in order for a game to be successful, people have to want to give you money for it. In order to be successful in screenwriting, imagine you're placing a bet. And here's the thing. Uh, we, we talk about Nepo babies a lot lately, but it's a valid part of the conversation. Are you going to bet on this Australian who's moved here and has spent all of his time making YouTube videos and board games? Or are you going to bet on Tom Cruise's son? <laughs> if you had to bet, that's an easy bet. So I need to get myself in a position where I am a valid bet. Are you going to bet on the person who is Tom Cruise's son or the person who has written 20 screenplays, moved to LA, 
goes to a networking event every week, makes sure that they're watching as much as they can and keeping up with what's marketable and, and knows the name of everyone at every studio. Like at that point, it might still lean towards Tom Cruise's son, but it's not a crazy uneven bet anymore. Like if you really want to do this, if you truly want to be in that top hundred, that top thousand, look at the race and say, where am I going to put my money? And if it's not on you, say, okay, how do I become a viable bet? And there's going to be sacrifices, obviously, like moving to LA, <laughs> that's a sacrifice. Like, uh, you know, there, there's so many things that you have to give up, but if you actually want to be a viable bet, that's the only way I know how to do it or be Tom Cruise's son. The only two ways I know how to do it. Yeah. That's a really, really good point. I heard a guy talking about this in a video a while back and he was talking about building a YouTube business, right? Not just making videos for fun, but like if you want to do this as a profession, and unfortunately, you can kind of do it for free. Like you can start off, you get a, a decent camera, get a decent microphone, you can hit record, you can start doing that. We're both doing that right now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he said, but the downside is of kind of modern, the good thing about modern creativity is a lot of times the, the entry point is very cheap, if not free, period. He said, but that's also a downside because used to, when you wanted to start a business, you probably had to get a loan which means you had to go down to the bank. You had to dress nice. You had to come up with a business plan. You had to figure out how you're going to make money. You had to look at you know, research as far as like what other companies are in this industry and how, you know, how do they make money and what's their profit and loss. And all. you had to do a ton of research and data gathering and all this stuff because you had to make a presentation to a person that was going to determine whether you were worth the bet, whether they were going to like take a risk and give you money, assuming that it was going to come back with some interest. Well, we don't have to do that anymore. But one thing you can do is get into that mentality of at least like do the work. Even if you're not going to go down to a bank and present it, at least think through and write it all down and come up with a document, a business plan and figure all this stuff out, whether it's to be a game designer, whether it's to be a writer, a YouTuber, whatever it is of like figuring out the plan and, and actually doing the work that, that goes into it. I think there's huge value in that. But I also want to jump back to what you said earlier as far as like being an atheist and, and realizing time is short. You know, every day is one less day you're going to have on this earth. And like there's a, a motivation there, because I, I look at it from the opposite angle, like being a Christian and believing that I'm one, one day going to stand before God and like have to talk about stuff and like, hey, what did you do down there? I want to be able to sit on, present your business plan. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But I want to be able to say, I, I lived life to the full. I, I used every ounce of, of opportunity and talent and everything you gave me. I, I look back on my life and there was nothing left to give. Like, I want to be able to have that conversation. And so my thought is the exact same as yours, just from a slightly different angle of like, my time is finite. I only have so many days on this earth. I've got a, a poster over here right next to me. It's called My Life in Weeks. And every week I, yeah. I mark off Wait another, uh-huh, I, I mark off another, you know, box. And realizing that, you know, on average, men in the U.S. live to be like 79 or something like that. And so that's how many boxes are on the, uh, the, the poster. And every week I'm, I'm one down. You know, you know, maybe I live longer than that. Maybe I live less than that. But like that gives me a really good visual of, hey, time's running out. I got to get stuff done. Not to the point where I'm like never sleeping. I'm grinding, hustling all the time and like destroying myself and all that. No, like, no but just the realization that time is finite and to allow that to carry some weight in my life. Man, it's super, super helpful. And so I got really sick about 18 months ago. It was a fatigue that, uh, you know, I've, I've never been, I've always been full of energy. Like, as you mentioned, I have four careers. You can't do that without giving everything you've got and having this unnatural amount of energy. So I've been very, very blessed or very fortunate, however you want to put it. Like I've just had all this energy 
in November 2021, it went. It just disappeared. I was unable to get off the couch. I was depressed, which I've never suffered from depression before. It just all of that stuff. And then fortunately, I've been to doctors and they've fixed it. And so now I'm, I'm back to energy, but it really like, <laughs> I thought I was motivated before. <laughs> But suddenly having the, the, the light taken out and then gifted back to me, I'm like, okay, let's do this. Uh, the one thing that, that really taught me though, is I didn't value friendship in the same way as I do now. Um, when I was down, when I was depressed, I couldn't work. I just couldn't get anything productive done. I would sort of use all my energy reserves to get a little bit of writing out to keep on paying the rent. But other than that, I just didn't have the energy for anything. But I could hang out with friends. And so suddenly I was like, oh, this is why people have friends. I get it now. And so, again, I'm very fortunate. Uh, like, I've, I've gotten back to basically full capacity, but I've maintained those friendships and I continue to value those friendships. And it's uh, it's been really lovely. Yeah, that's, I mean, how many people that are, you know, in their mid-40s have a heart attack, yeah. you know, almost die? And they're like, oh, I need to reconfigure everything. My priorities, my family, my health, my, my work-life balance, like everything changes because it's just what you're saying. Like when you, when you have something taken away, like what's the old song? You don't know what you got till it's gone, right? They yeah. pay paradise and put up a parking lot. It's like when your life becomes a parking lot, you're like, oh shoot, I, I remember those trees. I need to get back to the trees and the grass and all that. And so, yeah, I think there's a lot of value in that. And so if you're, if you can find a way though, to get into that mindset without having to have a heart attack, without having to find yourself in the parking lot, <laughs> you are way ahead of, of most people. You spoke earlier about going up to the bank and, and talking to the businessman, all that kind of stuff. Um, the term for that that I find really useful is gatekeepers. And there used to be, the, the bank used to be a gatekeeper. Or if you're a board game designer, the publisher used to be a, a gatekeeper. And now there's Kickstarter. And a lot of people have been like, there's no more gatekeepers, except here's the trick. The gatekeeping has just shifted to the audience now. Like the, the audience was always the gatekeeper, always, always, always. But then the bank or the, the publisher was a proxy for that. So they would be like, look, we think we understand this audience. So we're going to make decisions based on that. That's been eliminated. Now it just goes down to the audience, but the gate hasn't actually changed. I mean, there's a lot of advantages to it in that, you know, people of color and minorities and all that kind of stuff who would be rejected arbitrarily by the gatekeeper are now able to have their voice heard. And, and, you know, I'm polyamorous and I could write exclusively about polyamory if I wanted to. And in 1980, you no know, bank would be like, well, yeah, sure, we, we'll do that. But nowadays I just have to reach that audience. Whereas now, it, you know, the audience is the gatekeeper. That doesn't mean there's no gatekeeper. That doesn't mean you can't try and be like, look, I don't need to talk to a bank. Therefore it's easy. Now it's, it's the people clicking through. It's the people buying the product. They are the gatekeepers. So you still have to meet the same standards. It's just not as, as much of a funnel anymore. Now, now it's broader. Yeah, absolutely. The gate has gotten wider, yes. but there are still keepers of said yeah. gate. And now it's easier to find your people. It's easier to find your new gatekeepers. The, the gate was always that wide. There was just a earlier, smaller gate that you had to get mm. to to get to the larger gate. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's a great way to look at it. And, and now, luckily online, things are possible. There are more opportunities, but now there's also more noise. And now there's also more people vying for the same, in theory, the same amount of dollars, the same amount of attention. Like, you know, people only have so much attention, so much money, and now there's a lot more trying to, to grab onto that. And so, yeah, absolutely. Just something to, to be aware of. Well, Peter, this has been excellent, man. What are, what are you working on right now? What projects should uh, people be on the lookout for? So the big thing I'm working on right now is my YouTube channel. It's just Peter C. Haywood. Uh, I'm sure there'll be a link somewhere. Put it, put it, put it up there, Gabe. Okay? I want the link up there. Go check out my YouTube channel. Um, I'm actually, I'll, I'll talk about it in the terms we were earlier. Uh, 
Back in 2010, I did the Vlogbrothers project, which is just a video every weekday, four minute video, and no one saw them. They weren't very good, but like we were saying earlier, just by producing that much content, I learned how to how to make videos and how to edit and how to speak to a camera. This year and last year, I've been doing Pixar videos. I'm really into Pixar. I'm just a huge fan of the company. And by limiting my scope to just Pixar, it's like, cool. Like, again, if no one clicks on them, I'll, I'll get the hang of it. I'm not saying I'm a master at it, but I'm like, okay, I'm at the point where I've learned what I can from these limited scope videos. So the next thing coming out at some point, I don't know when, is going to be my hour and a half Ted Lasso video essay. It's so huge. It's so overwhelming. It's going to be exciting to, to put it out there. No one might watch it, but I'm using everything that I've learned from these things to make a video about how I feel about Ted Lasso and why I think the first season was stronger than the second season and so on and so forth. So check out my YouTube video and hopefully there'll be a bunch of little Pixar videos and a big Ted Lasso essay for you. Awesome. Well, I will definitely watch Ted Lasso, your Ted Lasso video. I'm a huge fan of the show and people keep telling me that I remind them of Ted, which I take as a compliment. I find that, uh, you know, I appreciate that. There's the accent, there's the football, there's the positive attitude, there's the... uh... The moustache. They're having very the... little understanding of soccer. Uh, yeah, there's, there's quite a few things. But anyway, Peter, it's always a pleasure to chat with you. Really appreciate you being here. Thanks so much, Gabe. Pleasure to be on.